are we all this morning? Good. I, um, I think I've said this before. I get, I get more jumpy when I'm not leading worship and then, uh, and then coming up to preach. I don't know if like, my mind gets nervous. And, uh, and you say, really? You get nervous doing this? Yeah, actually I do. Um, so I appreciate uh, Gary praying there. It's, uh, it's always a big thing. So, you know, I hope you enjoyed Missions Month. Uh, I think we, you know, does September ever end? It's like, this is like the longest month for me right now. It's like, and we even have another September Sunday, next Sunday, to, to, to finish up. And, um, and uh, I'm glad that we do this. I think this is, you know, we've done this in the past, in, past in the month of September, and I, I hope we keep this as a, um, a strong tradition um, to keep doing this. It's, it's good for us to... Uh, be reminded of the work that needs to be done. I was, I was looking at a few statistics uh, this past week as I was preparing for this morning. And, and I'm going to even say, that I, I have it in my notes later, say I'm not sharing this to, to bring guilt or shame or uh, anything like that. I just, I just want to share what, what the picture really is. There's 3.14 billion people in the world today that are considered to be unreached, who have never heard the name of Jesus. 764 million people are considered to be unevangelized, which means wherever they live, a small portion of the population is Christian, but their chance of hearing the gospel is small. In these two categories, the completely unreached and those who have never heard the name of Jesus, 23.7% of missions work is with the unevangelized, and only 0.37% go to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. And then 75.9% of missions goes to the reach world. Out of 648 million evangelicals, 70% 70 have never been told about the billions of unevangelized and unreached individuals in the world. And this is partly why we have Missions Month. Oftentimes, I think we just don't know the need. We just, you know, there's an ignorance that I have, that we have. 4.89 billion people live in what is called the 1040 window. Now, I wasn't the best geography student of all time. So if I explain this incorrectly, please forgive me. But 97% of the world's unreached people are living in the area that spans from West Africa across to Asia 10 and, 10 and 40 degrees north of the equator. <coughs> this area is 40% of the world's population, and many of these countries are closed to the gospel. It's very dark and very unreached. And so here's a breakdown in the world. We have one missionary for every 60,000 tribes or tribal people. We have one missionary for every 71,000 of those who are classified as just unreligious. There's one missionary for every 179,000 Hindus. There's one missionary for every 260,000 Buddhists and one missionary for every 405,000 or 405,500 Muslims. And again, I'm not sharing this for any type of guilt or shame but we need to be reminded of the great responsibility that we've been given. We must be a people who are passionate about the gospel. 
You know, a verse I like to keep close to my heart is in Isaiah. And it's one that just kind of resonates with me through the years. Isaiah 26, 7 through 8. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. And then it says this. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name, and I'm going to paraphrase this, your name and your fame is the desire of our souls. The name of Jesus, the fame of Jesus, should be the desire of our souls, wherever we're at. And as individuals, as families, as a church body, can we say this? Can we say that above all other things, the fame and glory of Jesus Christ is a desire, it's the passion of our souls? Because if his name and his glory and his fame is our number one desire, we will be a people on mission for him. We will be ones who desire to share his glory, to give his glory, give to his glory, and send out people from among us for the glory of Christ. You see, I want us to keep this in mind today. We need and are commanded to be about missions for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. So let's get going today. Now the sermon title today is this. It says, Not So Random Thoughts About Missions. And I'm going to be sharing from multiple passages today. Now in hindsight, I don't think that's the best sermon title I've ever come up with. Uh, But I'm sure in my youth pastor days I did worse. But could you do me a favor? Could you, if you're taking notes, could you cross out the word thoughts and replace it with this word truth? Because by God's grace today, and I'm not claiming to be anything special, but by God's grace and the reality that the Holy Spirit lives within me, I desire to proclaim truth today and not just thoughts. And I'm going to trust God that this is what's going to happen. So let's start with the primary uh, passage that's given in the Gospel of Matthew. We know this one, the Great Commission. Turn to Matthew 28. Let's read verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And here we go. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we've heard this many times, haven't we? But I want to start just with this first truth. My first random truth that I've been mulling over for the last month. And it is this. We go make disciples under the authority of our almighty Savior, Jesus Christ. We go and make disciples under the authority of our almighty Savior, Jesus Christ. See, look what it says. It says this. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. What is Jesus saying here? In our society, we can kind of take it this way. If we want to make it work for our minds, it's this. Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is in command. 
Jesus is the sovereign ruling king. He has no equal. He has no authority over him. He is it. He is the top. He is the highest. He's above all. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. This savior, our savior, Jesus Christ, he is the name above all other names. And God the Father has given to Jesus this, all authority in heaven and on earth. See how it says, all authority has been given to me. Well, who gave that to Jesus? God the Father. He's the boss. He is the one. There's none above him. He says it. It's been given to me and it is mine. So, therefore, we go. We go to the nations. We go to the world and we make disciples and get. And this is what we do. We go in Jesus' name and under his authority. We are his ambassadors. We are his messengers, his disciples, and his children. And we go under his almighty authority. Look at the passage. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to deserve all that I, Jesus, commanded. So we teach them Christ. We proclaim Christ. And behold, I... And this is awesome if you really just stop and absorb this. I the king, I the ruler, I the sovereign one. And I am the Lord of Lord, uh, lords, I am the king of kings, and I am with you. Sometimes, always, and forever. Now if that doesn't bring boldness, boldness I don't know what will. No need to fear. The king is with us. Any of you ever been in a position of having to exercise authority, but you really didn't have any authority in a work situation? How'd that go for you? It doesn't work too well, huh? You ever get that blank stare from someone? Hey, I really need you to do this. And it's just nothing. And sometimes you even kind of feel it in you. You're like, oh man, who am I to tell, tell them to, to what to do here at the job? Maybe you got promoted quicker than someone and they're bitter, right? And they don't really recognize the authority you've been given. This is difficult. Maybe you've been told by someone to do something and you're like, what, who are you? I know in my house growing up, and, and I know with my kids, and only Katie's here, so I'm in a little bit safe today. If a kid ever told dad what to do, especially like in that sassy type attitude, it didn't really go really well. But if there's humility, it was different. You see, we go under this awesome authority. When Jesus tells us to go, we can go with an absolute assurance that he is good and he is Lord. We can go in full confidence. I read a missionary's biography one time, he was in China and he goes, I'm going up into the hills and everybody there warned him and said, don't go there. And off the top of my head, you see this is a problem when you go off notes, I don't remember who it was. If you wanna know, I can find it later. They said, don't go there. And here's what he said, he goes, I am immortal 
until God calls me home. I'm like, dude, you're a superhero. Sorry, youth pastorisms come in sometimes. But you see, that's true. Jesus says to go. Jesus says, I am with you even to the end of the age. What confidence that brings. Where he calls us to go, we go. We are going in his name and he is with us. So right now, this very moment, if you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and in his death and in his resurrection, he is with you, he lives in you, Christ is in you. Christ lives in you. There's an old song we used to sing at camp, and really when you say old, in the age of church history, it's not that old. It's in from the 90s probably. But we used to say, see the joy that I have found. Oh, this marvelous light, marvelous light. And then all the kids would yell, it's Christ in you. We have this marvelous light, Christ in us. And since Jesus is with us us, and we are under his authority, we can then come to the second not so random truth. We go because it's obedience. Jesus commands us to go. This is a command from our leader and from our king. Go. And we saw the text, I am the king, therefore go. Which is actually stated like this. As you are living, as you are going, make disciples. See, as God's children and as his ambassadors, as we are living, as we are going, as we are walking, as we are working, as we are parenting, as we are marrying, as we do what God has told us to do, go make disciples. Are you saved today? You're a missionary. You are an ambassador for Christ. Go make disciples. You know, sometimes when we say the word discipleship, a lot of different thoughts. If you, often I think if you went to a church and you say, define discipleship to me, you might get a whole lot of different answers. I know in my high school and college days, discipleship consisted of going through, I think there were four books. Uh, they were workbooks and you did it as a group. And one was green. Uh, and then I could be out of order here. And I could be wrong on the colors. Then you moved to blue. Then you did the red book. And then you finished off with the yellow book. And sometimes when you finished all four of those books, you were discipled. Congratulations. Go through the books with someone else. No more need for discipleship. You did the discipleship program. You successfully committed, completed the discipleship ministry here at our church. I'm being a little, little goofy on that, but I'm not that far off on the reality for, for some. Now, let me say this. It was good stuff. It was great. It was God's word. It was good foundational truths that all of us need to know. But is that discipleship? No, it was a tool and it was partly discipleship and it was a good resource. Not a bad thing and part of the whole picture. But if we look at this, look at it, this is the whole idea of what Jesus was saying. As you're going, make disciples. Jesus was saying this, share the good news, be the good news. Jesus is saying, I am the good news, so spread my fame and my glory and teach them what I have taught you. Pass this on. See, discipleship and making disciples is making Jesus the message and the only message. This is our message. We bring the word of God to people.
You know, I'm uh, still learning and growing a lot. But there's a few things I've learned. In, you know, this whole random thoughts, random truth. I suppose this is, oh man, this pastoring 101, preaching 101, never like waver. They say, I, I don't have that in me because I really don't think I'm anything great, truly. But the Christian life is all discipleship. It's as you're going. Your marriage is a, a discipling relationship. I hope Karen has gained a deeper love for Jesus Christ because of my love for Jesus and my desire to be obedient to him and to follow him in our relationship and in our family life. I know I have learned from Karen and have absolutely grown in my walk with Jesus and I have gained a greater love for Jesus because of Karen's love for Jesus. We're together as one, a couple growing together. Marriage is discipleship. Parenting is your first and greatest opportunity to disciple. Your kids are not born saved. Jonathan Edwards called them little vipers. We're all born dead in our sins. And I think sometimes we kind of lose this. Oh, it's Christian home. Oh, aren't they cute? You know, I, I've shared this before. You ever seen a baby angry? Like really, really angry? I think they'd kill you if they could. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes like, are you going to breathe? <laughs> so you, you've experienced this. Your kids aren't born saved, and so what is it? It's not teaching them rules. Now, do you need rules in parenting? Yes. Let me give you an example. You see your kid bolting for the street and their car's coming. What are you going to yell? Stop. Do you need them to obey? Absolutely. For their protection and for their good. But don't ever equate rules and the lifestyle of Christianity is what saves your kids. Constantly be there. Shepherd them. Disciple them. You need to teach them grace. Teach them forgiveness. Teach them and model for them a love for, for Jesus and a love for your neighbor. Model the confession of sin. Model a Christ-like humility. And this will happen as you grow up in churches as your kids do. They will see people or churches fail us. Teach them Jesus never fails and he will never forsake us. No matter what comes, say Jesus is better. Jesus is worth it. That's why I stay. That's why we do what we do. It's because of Jesus. Why do we go to church on Sunday? I'm tired. I want to watch football. We go because Jesus is better than football. This is what we proclaim and what we do. It's all about Jesus. Proclaim good news in your house. Model worship. Man, every chance you get, brag about Jesus. Don't pretend you have it perfect when you blow it. Tell your kids, I am human, I mess up. Jesus is better and he went to the cross for this mess. By the way, that's not easy to do, is it? I'm not saying this is simple. I, man, I know how pride works. It's fortunately too much, I know how it works. But discipleship, as you are going, 
teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. You know what this means too? It means it takes time. I'm not perfect, but man, it, it, three daughters. So let me tell you how life, life, life where I'm getting a little bit, I gotta watch the clock. But you know, when they were little, I'd be like, hey, let's go, we're going to Ace Hardware. Okay, and I'd always make it worth their while, right? Because McDonald's right next to Ace, the ice cream cone. <laughs> Or, you know, lollipops, two for a dollar, sold at Ace. So like, go to Ace, come with Dad, it'll be good. But you know what? Come sit in the car and we talk. Sorry, Katie, I'm going to embarrass you. But when Katie, when I would put her down to sleep, she go, when she was really little, she'd go, Dad, are we going to talk about the good stuff right now? Are we going to talk about important things? And I'd quiz her, what's important things, Katie? You know, God and stuff. If you're not with your kids, if you're not parenting, you miss the opportunities. Drag them everywhere. <coughs> I used to love, and I still see it once in a while, because you guys, are, I'm, I think you're good parents, and, but we all grow, right? I love when I'd be in Safeway, and like, I see a dad with their kid. I'm like, yes, shepherd your children. Disciple your children. Be with them. Make disciples. I'll get off this little little high horse, I suppose. You get, I, I, now I'm you know, getting gray. You got about 18 years, folks. And they're mush for a good chunk of it at the beginning. Soaking in a lot, but you're not going to be having deep conversations. Take advantage. Pray for wisdom. And bring the word of God to your family. And make it good news. The gospel is good news. Have joy in Christ. As we hear, as we gather together in our church, make disciples. Teach one another. Encourage one another. Fellowship with one another. Proclaim the greatness of Christ in your life. In your community group, share what God is doing in your life. What are you learning? How are you growing? In your neighborhood, go proclaim the fame of Jesus. That means you need to know your neighbors. Knock on the door. Say hello. Build relationships with them. It's our calling to love our neighbors. It's a command. I have to chuckle. Sometimes people will say, hey, pastor, I need you to come to my neighbor. You know what? I believe in this thing called the priesthood of all believers that teaches in scripture. You go to your neighbor. Of course we'll help you. But I don't know your neighbor. You know your neighbor. Go share the testimony of Jesus. And again, I'm not saying John and I and Michael or other people in the congregation, we'll help you. That's part of discipleship. We're here. We want to help. But go do it. Guess what? Jesus is with you. You're not going alone. And Jesus going with you is a whole lot better than Ron going with you because I'm moody. You always have this message. Jesus saved me and he can save you. <clears throat> in your job, make disciples. Be light in a dark wor world. Work hard. Work for the glory of God. Work for something beyond a paycheck. Be known for grace and mercy. Choose your words well. Ask for guidance from the Holy Spirit. Build relationships with the goal of sharing Christ. The bottom line of the Great Commission is this. Live a Christ-centered life. 
Jesus, go with me. Jesus, go before me. Jesus, surround me. And may my words be pleasing to you. Proclaim Jesus always and everywhere. Which then brings us to this. It's our third not-so-random truth. We're also called to go to the nations. The need is great. Jesus commands us to go into all the world. We can't ignore that. Why? Because God so loved the world. <coughs> Why? Because God is saving people from all over the world, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Psalm 2 says this, the nations are a heritage to Jesus Christ. You know, I sometimes feel, opinion time, that I think this call to go has been muted a little bit lately. Being in church leadership for a lot of years, I take responsibility for that. And I think there's multiple reasons for it. I think, I think there are times we do as churches, we, we, you know, there's certain times that you kind of circle up and focus on different issues or whatever. I'm just talking like church, America church. But I think the call to global mission sometimes has been a little bit quiet lately. I think one thing too, at least in my home and me, not Karen, I'm not gonna put that on her, I don't know. We've talked about it, and we know there's grace for this, but you know, when it comes to my kids, I kind of freak out with the idea of them even moving out of state. You know, if God so wills, I, I would love to be a grandparent someday, and I'd like the grandkids to be close by. Now, some of you are like, man, my kid's in the military, and uh, my, you know, you're like, Ron, you're a wimp. Yep, I know, I know, I am, I'm selfish. But if God wills, I would rejoice if to have uh, my children close by. I like the idea of short-term missions. Yeah, go for a couple weeks. Come home safe. And I would struggle with the reality that my kids are across the world. I would struggle that they're not home for Christmas. Now, I know 100% that God would give the grace to endure and to rejoice because Jesus is worth it. I fully and completely know that it's worth any sacrifice that he calls us to. But sometimes you just don't want to even voice it, at least in my type of personality. If I don't mention it, maybe it won't happen. That's not right. You know, over the years, is we've had people you know, come and go through the doors here. But I've learned from a lot of people, and I, and I love them. Uh, Dave and Mickey Johnson's daughter was in North Africa for quite a few years. Uh, and they let her go. Single gal. Now she's married, has a kid. It's awesome. It's good, but she went in obedience. And Dave and Mickey rejoiced in it. I'd be like, I'd be a nervous wreck. John and Harriet Clark modeled a very accurate picture of the joy and an honesty that it was hard to have your kids half a world away as, as, they, as he flew in Papua New Guinea for Wycliffe. 
I'm sure I'm leaving others out that I've, I've learned from, but parents, kids, you need to know this. Jesus is far better and worth every sacrifice he asks of us. John Piper once said this in a message, and again, I'm paraphrasing, it was to college students, but it was something like this. If God is calling you to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ to a distant tribe or a distant land, please don't lower yourself and abandon that calling to become or take the greatest job of authority in the greatest and richest company in the world. Don't lower yourself and become the head guy at Apple if Jesus is calling you to the nations. You're lowering yourself because it's a mighty and good calling. I hope as a church we renew a culture where we encourage and give and pray and keep missions at the forefront because people need to hear the message of Jesus. I'm gonna put three real quick together, fourth, fifth, and sixth. I had a feeling that would happen, so I actually even put it in my notes. <laughs> These are in no particular order. And maybe this is just something to mull over and chew on through the week and the months to come, but it's this. The Great Commission or evangelism is a spiritual battle, not a cultural battle. The next one is we bring good news and not bad news. And it's this one too. It is really difficult to evangelize when we are always so mad and fearful of the sinners that are around us. It's difficult to evangelize when we're always so mad and so fearful of sinners and their lifestyles. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. We need to know our audience. We need to know what's really happening. In verses anger, compassion. I'll admit I don't like the tempo of the world right now. It's an angry place. It's a divisive place. Let's bring, it, bring Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 kind of gives us this picture. It says this. Therefore, having this ministry, Paul's talking, by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. See, Paul's saying, I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm not trying to be fake. I'm not goofing around. I'm bringing God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now look at this here. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So this is the audience. These are the ones who need to know Jesus. These are the ones who are perishing. These are those who are dead in their sins. And look what it says. In their case, in the case of the unsaved, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. <coughs> well, to keep them from seeing what? What don't they see? They are blinded from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give what? Look at this. The opposite of what was just saying they were blind to. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
We need to reveal Jesus. We need to proclaim Jesus. And guess what happens when that happens? God is good and he loves to save people. And he opens their eyes. And the enemy is crushed in an individual's life when life comes in and they see the glory of Christ. The lost are perishing. They're blinded by the God of this world. And this blindness keeps them from seeing the most needed blessing in their lives, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Can I tell you something? And and I might be getting ahead of myself. The unsaved don't need a behavior change yet. They need Jesus first. I think sometimes we're focused on do this, do this, do this, then come to my church. Then I'll share, you got, you got to get, hey, prepare yourself for Jesus. Would you put away that stuff you do? Would you put away your lifestyle? Do we want that to happen? Absolutely. We want it though for the glory of God. But they need Jesus first. So we proclaim Christ. I sometimes fear that we get caught up in a lot of agendas. And not necessarily wrong agendas but agendas that are secondary to the gospel. That sometimes we fail to break down the issue to, the, to a real basic fact. Here's this basic fact. There are two types of people in this world, saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and the second, the unsaved who are blinded by the God of this world. Two types of people, that is it. No more labels. The only labels you get to use in, my, in, in God's word now, yeah, are there labels that are secondary? But the top label, saved or unsaved. And everything else is the symptom of being unsaved. It is not even a symptom. It is the disease of being unsaved. It is the death of being unsaved. It is the picture that you are dead in your sins. But you're saved or you're not. Let's look at the world that way. They're blinded. So we need to ask ourselves if our way of life, if our culture, if our, if our churchianity, I made that word up, maybe, I'm sure it's out there. Our cult, are, we, are we tripping the blind and laying obstacles in their path or are we leading them to the glory of Christ? <coughs> How cruel is it to lead a blind person on the wrong way? There's nothing more cruel. So preach Christ. Don't add to it. Don't be cunning. Don't be creative. Say, I was lost. Now I'm found. I was dead. Now I'm alive. Look what Jesus has done. Evangelism and gospel proclamation is not about winning arguments. The end goal is not to convert someone to your brand of politics or your culture. The end goal is the blind receiving sight and seeing and loving the glory of Jesus Christ. I love apologetics. But if I want to debate and someone switches from intelligent design from Darwinism, yet they don't place their faith in Christ, lost. Who cares? Who really cares? Hey, I won that argument. They need Jesus. Seriously, proclaim the gospel. Proclaim it to all. Jesus loves to save. He really, really does. You know how I know that? 
you, me, this church, nothing better than Baptism Sunday. Honestly, it's so good. (coughs) The blind first need to see. The dead first need to be brought to life. You want somebody to turn from their sin, to renounce a sinful lifestyle? It will not happen without new life in Christ. So proclaim Christ. Proclaim the gospel and watch in amazement how the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit living in somebody changes us and changes them. We too often fall into this belief that we need to culturize, politicize, and fix things that bug us about a person before we evangelize. Stop it. I'm guilty of this too, but I'm preaching to myself. Christ fixes, Jesus heals, Jesus changes people. And finally, close with this. I was just thinking about this, and man, this could, this could be like a lot of messages probably. But what if we purposed in our lives to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit in all that we do? Now I say, Ron, back up. We have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. But scripture also warns us, do not grieve the Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. What if by the grace of God, moving mightily within us, we started dealing with all people in our work, all people and in our words and interactions in this way. As we are going, make disciples walking by the Spirit. I'll say that again. What if this was our motto? As we go, we make disciples as we walk by the Spirit. You see, in the text in Matthew, as Jesus said to go, as you are going, there's a text in Galatians 5 that says this, walk by the Spirit. Really, the two aren't that far apart from each other. In Galatians 5, when it says walk by the Spirit, it's the same as saying, it's the same as saying this, keep in step with the Spirit. So today I want to join them together. As you are going, while walking step by step with the Holy Spirit and Christ living in you, evangelize, share the glory of Christ, share my fame this way, with the fruit that I produce in you. Turn to Galatians 5. Verse 16, but I say, keep in step with the Spirit or walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident and we know them. And Paul lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And all who belong to Jesus Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what if, by God's grace, not by our own efforts, we became a people who as we go, while walking step by step with the Holy Spirit, evangelized and shared Jesus this way, surrounded, flowing with the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces within us. Make disciples with love, a love for the lost and a love for Jesus. Even if they're cultural or political enemies. Make disciples with joy because it's good news. And we know that the good news of the gospel saves and we know it saved us and so we radiate the joy of the Lord through Jesus Christ. What if make disciples with peace because we've been given, as Paul says in other passages, the ministry of reconciliation. And we know that peace with God comes through who? Jesus Christ. The unsaved have no peace. We also have peace even in rejection because we know we're being obedient and we know Jesus is with us. And we know God is sovereign and in control. Make disciples with patience. We never give up on proclaiming the gospel. Don't give up on people. Some of you have unsaved family for a long time. Don't stop praying. Don't stop sharing. Jesus God loves to save people through Jesus Christ. I know testimonies. I have it in my own family. My father-in-law, I think he wouldn't, I know he wouldn't care. We prayed for him a very, very long time. In the last 10 to 12 years, he became saved, which actually is fairly late in, in a lot of ways. Jesus saves. Don't give up, be patient. And don't be crippled by a sinner's bad behavior. Remember, they need Jesus. Oh, and isn't patience so closely tied to forgiveness? Keep forgiving. Make disciples with kindness. You want to set yourself apart? Be kind. It's God's kindness that what? Led us to repentance. You can disagree with someone's views, their lifestyles, and you can still be kind. And you can still proclaim the truth. Kindly. Make disciples with faithfulness, or, uh, with goodness. Be good to others. Don't wish ill or rejoice in others' calamities. Really, be good to people. Know that God is good. Let that fuel what we do and say. Make disciples with gentleness. Start modeling the fact that gentleness is not weakness. <clears throat> gentleness is never paired up with anger and wrath, is it? Make disciples with self-control. You start living for Jesus, you will be persecuted. 
And you're gonna feel the desire to fight back in the flesh. And sometimes the desire to argue and the desire to be right is hard. It's, 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 I don't know about you, I like to be right. I don't like to lose arguments. But have self-control. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your words. Finally, we'll close with this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. When we're sharing, when we're going, when we're walking with the Spirit and we're going and tell people and being light to the world as God has called us to be, when someone wants to change the subject, when someone wants to argue, there's one thing that they will never, ever, ever be able to take away from you or deny. They can't remove this truth. You were saved by the grace of God and Jesus lives in you. Your personal testimony of once being dead in sin and now alive, your personal testimony, they could say, but what about, what about, what about? And you come back to them and say, but what about what Jesus has done for me? Let me tell you who I was, dead in my sins. Let me tell you what a jerk I was. Let me tell you about my fallen lifestyle. Let me tell you about our missionary who was in gangs and now radiates in video this love for Jesus. You can't do anything with that at the end of the day. People don't know what to do with someone who truly has been transformed by the grace of God. So proclaim the grace of God to one another and to others. There's no argument against it. Jesus saved me. Jesus is Lord. I'm heartbroken. Oh, oh boy. I'll stop with this. In the news lately, former pastors, former worship leaders saying, oh, I'm done with this. Man, I understand being done with church or other Christians. We're a peculiar people sometimes. Seriously, we get annoyed at the dumbest stuff. Churches split over bylaws multiple times. What? Split over it? It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. Well, we might lose our tax exemption. The Church of Scientology still has their tax exemption. And they're not a church. <laughs> Jesus first. Jesus always. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus saves. I don't care about anything else. I'm really, really done with anything but Jesus. But then when pastors say I'm done, I just say, what about Jesus? What? You're blowing my mind right now. I don't, I mean, and scripture gives us an answer. It says, don't be surprised when people leave. They never had Jesus to begin with. But at the end of the day, I can get so tired of everything, but Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus lives in me. Jesus is better than anything. And so guess what? I love most of the time walking in this door. If we're gonna be about Jesus, let's go. If we're gonna worship Jesus, I'm in. If we're gonna proclaim Jesus, I'm in wholeheartedly because Jesus saved me and he saved you. And so we can look and go, man, what a mess we all are. But Jesus is so good. Amen. That's what church is for. So we go and proclaim Jesus and the rest, let the Holy Spirit move, let him work, and he's gonna do the changing. And that's awesome. Jesus, I, I love him. 
because he saved me. So we got a job. We got a lot of people in here. What will God do with us if we make Jesus first and say, ah, let me tell you about the light of the world. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. Let's go. As we're living, Grace Bible Church, go make disciples. Families, go make disciples. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing and will do. Lord, we don't know when you're coming back. And so, Father, I would pray until that day comes that we would be people about you, about your glory, about the fame, about this truth, that you take dead people and you make them alive through Christ. Lord, that we would be people that proclaim the cross and the resurrection and the power of the gospel. Father, I pray it would be a people in a church that make so much about Jesus and so little about everything else. Because you are a great God. And we have the greatest message that ever, ever has been given. That you saved sinners and you saved us. Be with us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us so much wisdom to know what's best in how we use different methods to do what you've asked us to do. But Father, may it always be first that we proclaim that you save sinners and you saved us. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.